0: You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Week two of Asking for a friend, week two of asking for a friend, where this month we're taking a look at some of your questions that that maybe you would like to ask and didn't have the opportunity. And so we had some questions that were asked anonymously, and we're just taking a look at those questions according to God's word. And last week, we looked at what do we believe actually as according to scripture, what leadership looks like here at Avenue Church. And so if you missed it, you can go to our podcast and listen to it. That's found on our website. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple, it's on Google. Listen to this a year and a half. Our podcast has been streamed over 3,000 times, which is pretty ridiculous. Like, I was shocked to find that out. I, like, I knew we had, we had jumped past 2,000, but when we reached past 3,000, I was like, really? Really? And like, all over the world. So, if you miss a Sunday, you can go to our website and follow up. So, the question this week, and it's a long question, you guys give really, really good in-depth questions, um, and it's actually a three-part question. I don't even know that a lot of times you just can't ask a question. If there's a follow-up question, and then there's a follow-up question to that. And so the question is this, or questions is why are Jesus and other people of the Bible often portrayed as white? And God the whole and are God the Holy Spirit and Jesus all the same person, the same entity? And this is a good one, guys. And why does it seem God is vengeful and violent in the Old Testament and loving and merciful in the New Testament? Like I said last week, like I'm not ducking, no smoke. Like I'm not avoiding anything. Some people are like, is that even like a real thing? Absolutely, Google it. And so you guys aren't like pulling out any stops on these. And so I want us to back up and really what you were asking is like, how do we, not just Avenue Church, but how do you and I as believers, as followers of Jesus, how do we have a good view of God? How should we view God? And immediately our minds go to visual images. When I say that question to you, how do we view God? Immediately we have visual images or experiences. Like experiences that, that that we've went through or maybe sermons that you've heard that have shaped how you view God. And I found a couple of quotes. And the first one I'm going to read here at the beginning of the message is by a, a, a modern theologian. His name is A.W. Tozer. And he wrote this book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And he says this about our view of God. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so he's saying, what you and I think about God is really the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church being the body is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do. So it's not what you and I say or do is the most important thing about us, but what he, in his deep heart, conceives God to be like. The most important thing about you and I is is what do we believe God to be like? And so we tend, by a secret law of the soul, he says, to move towards this mental image. That's why I had you kind of create this mental image of God. And this is true, not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose The church, not the building, right? The church is not a place, but a people. But it's this idea that we corporately have of God, and it's always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. I know that's a mouthful, and that's a lot, but essentially what he's saying is the most important thing about you and I is not how we behave, but what we believe in reference to who God is both for us as individual Christians, as followers of Jesus, but also for us corporately as a church, how do we view God? And so we all have these different views of God and and, and how we view God, how you and I view God, how we view God as a church determines how we approach God or how we don't approach God. And that even like, plays true in certain seasons of our life, that there are times where we draw nearer to God than, than what we do in other seasons, and that is placated on how we view God. And so to, to look at this first question is like, why is Jesus white in all the pictures, <laughs> right? And most of us, when, when I, I ask you to make this mental image of Jesus, it's gonna come from a picture probably similar to this. And this is going to be Michelangelo's Last Supper. It's like everyone is like ghostly pale. Right, So some of you are thinking that, that Jesus is like this. Now, Now, my earliest remembrance of, of possibly what Jesus would have looked like came not from this picture, but from the next picture. And this is the one most of us probably think of. It's an Olin Mills portrait of Jesus. Um, <laughs> right? And so I'm not real sure like what the process was back then. Anybody remember going to Walmart to have your family pictures made? Anybody? No, just me. Okay, I'm showing my age, right? I know. And now we just take our own pictures. But, but like, I remember as a kid, my grandmother had this in her hallway and it was just a little eight by 10, most of us. And she also had some church fans. That was before we had air conditioner. We had like, like man-powered air conditioner. And so we had church fans that had this picture on it. It's just like, how many of you are so like grateful we don't have fans in church, right? Is just whacking people over the head around you, but this is the picture that probably a lot of us—we've seen this on Christmas cards, we've seen this like on, on like funeral, like little like orientation, like like envelopes. We've seen this picture everywhere, and this is shaped kind of how we view Jesus. Now, the next couple of pictures are actually kind of interesting. So, the next one is this fresco painting, which was a painting in a chapel in Italy, and and this was. It's second restoration. So there was a kind member in the community in this, in this town in Italy who saw this painting that was deteriorating, and they, um, out of the generosity of their heart, and they considered themselves to be a pretty good painter, they were allowed to go in and restore this painting that was like 100 plus years old. And so this, this lady went in and restored it and spent a lot of time, and this is what she came out with. <laughs> and so you guys may remember seeing this like on the news about 10 12 years ago and she completely ruined Jesus, right? And if you think though our like visual representation of Jesus is way off, right? And so why why is that? Well, scripturally there's not a whole lot in there other than the fact that when when we associate with Jesus, when we associate with God, we, we often um, use the scripture, like a scripture that, that I walk is that Jesus has went through everything that I've ever experienced. He talks about this in Hebrew, Paul does. That he's experienced everything, and because of that, we can come to him boldly to the throne. That he's experienced heartache, heartbreak, disappointment, just like you and I. And so we picture people going through those things similar to us. And so everything that I've shown before and that you've seen, this Western culture of how Jesus is portrayed is actually the result of how Romans viewed Jesus and painted and then influenced um, Europe. And then Europe colonized the world. A bunch of pale Anglo-Saxons colonized the world. And so we see their Jesus. But what has happened is through time, Through advances in technology and art and science and a broader worldview, we are just now starting to get a better picture of what Jesus would look like. And so in in 2012, science and and, um, forensic science was able to take a skull of a first century Galilean and recreate what someone like Jesus would have looked like. And this is the picture that we get from that. And so this is something maybe a little closer to what Jesus would have looked like. Not exactly, because we don't have any drawings or paintings or or great descriptions of what Jesus looks like. And this was in 2012 to 2015. and, And even since then, technology has grown greatly. And now artificial intelligence is used. And you may not know this, but you can just put in information and parameters. And There's even some websites you can go to and, and you can just type in finding Jesus in a computer somewhere will create a painting, a work of art based off those two words. And so artificial intelligence now has been able to be used by taking information about that time period and plus other like paintings and artworks, pieces of Jesus. And now this is probably the closer image of what Jesus would look like. Big difference from the first picture, right? And so I want us not just, so today I want us not just to form a visual image of who God is, who Jesus is, but I really want us more so to understand his nature because that's really more important, right, than what he looks like. It's his nature and who he is. And, and, and when we look at, at this idea of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you can take that down, of, of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, and we're asking this question, are they all the same? and i would absolutely say yes but it's really hard for us in our finite earthly mind to be able to understand the greatness of a god that transcends time and space and reality and that he is fully god as the god the father fully God as God the Son and fully God as God the Spirit. And so we're gonna look at some passages of scriptures and the terminology that maybe you've heard around this is, is this phrase called the Trinity. And the Trinity is this, is the foundational Christian belief that God is one being who exists in three persons, three characteristics, three persons. It's one God who is found in three persons. We, we interact with him through that. And so a lot of times churches and pastors will you give some examples like the Trinity is kind of like water, H2O, that it's, it's one substance, but it's found in three forms. You have liquid, gas, and solid, right? But even that breaks down because water can only be one of those at one time. God can be all of himself all at the same time, Another example is the egg. You have the shell, the yolk, and the egg white. Well, that illustration breaks down a little bit as well, right? When the shell breaks, then it's broken. and it's, It all breaks down. But what I want to help us understand is that, that he is... You guys didn't get that joke at all. I'll have to hear that from my family later. Don't use it, second service. <laughs> Scripture says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. God is speaking to Moses, and he says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. It says, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then, and then in Genesis, Moses is describing creation. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, there was God, but it says that, that the spirit of God hovered over all of existence. And then in Genesis 1, it said, then God said, let us make God in our image to be just like us. And so we see from the very beginning that, that this God that we serve, that we worship, uh, that we follow is greater than what we could ever put our minds in and that, that he is spirit, that he is the father and he is the son. And, and John chapter one says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became what? Flesh. So we see that God was even there. And I even heard some scholars say that the word that was spoken by God to create everything was Jesus because it says that that he created all things, right? And so we look at this concept of God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And it says, let us make man in our image. And so even when you look at us, it says, let us make God in, or make man in our image so that they can be like us. You and I, we are what's called a triune being. It's another mouthful. And what that simply means is that, that you and I, we're not what we see on the outside. This is just our body. It's one part. But then we also have a soul that's our emotions, that's our thoughts, that's our ideas, that's, that's our personalities, but then even beyond that is the core of who we are and that is the spirit that, 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 that connects with God. Now, until we, our spirit is awakened by the word of God and drawn by the spirit of God, our spirit is not alive. But once we come into relationship with Christ, through his word and through the drawing of his spirit, our spirit is then regenerated. And that's why we say we are born again. Our spirit, which was dead, is now born again. And so we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body, a triune being that is just like our creator, who is father, son, and spirit. Are you guys still with me? Okay. And so we, we, we try to wrap our mind around this. And now let's look in the New Testament, John 10. Jesus, in a moment of blasphemy, according to the religious scholars of that day, said, the Father and I are what? One. The Father and I are one. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then he goes on in John chapter 14 where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And if you remember from our series on the Holy Spirit, that word another means the same, same kind, that it is is Jesus with them. And he says, the advocate will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. And this is the the last part. It says, but you will know him because he lives with you now. Jesus talking about himself is like the spirit is with you now because the spirit and I are the same, but he will be in you later, which means even when Jesus ascends to heaven, God's spirit is still here because he is in us. So he says, the father and I are one. He says the Spirit is with you now. I'm right here. But when I leave, the Spirit will still be in you because we are the same. Look at your neighbor and say, they're the same. They're the same. And so Jesus and God the Father are the same. God the Son and God the Spirit are the same. And so when we, when, when we say this, he is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And like, convince me of it. There are some things that you just have to understand and step in faith. Paul says that as a pastor, Paul says that, that we are responsible for storting the, 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 the mysteries of God and that there are some things that are gonna remain a mystery until like I read earlier, we are standing before the throne and all is made plain in that point. And then in that point, it's not gonna matter what we fought about, what we argued about back then because Jesus is all that matters. And so even when you look at me, right, I'm, I'm one being. I'm a what kind of being? You guys are like, I wasn't certain. Like, you were going to, like, come on, like, give me a Like, human being? Yes, I'm not a terrestrial, right? Um, I'm a human being. But, but even with, within this plane, I'm a son, I'm a father, and I'm a husband. And I can't be all those things all at the same time. I'm good, but I'm not that good. But our God is good and he's greater than good. He can be God the Father. He can be God the Son. He can be God the Spirit. All at the same time moving and working in our life in ways that we can't understand. And it can be easy to get caught up in that and they get caught up, guys, in the differences we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament of what his nature is. Um, and, and why does it seem contradictory from the Old Testament to the New Testament? And one of the things that, that I hope that you come to grasp over time as you grow is you will not see the Bible as the Old Testament and the New Testament as two separate stories. Because it is not two separate stories. It is one story from Genesis to Revelation, a story of redemption and love and forgiveness and pursuit of God's people and for you and I and the God that we see in the Old Testament Is the same God that we see in the New Testament. But what what happens is is we get caught up on some of these nuances of violence and, and how God is making himself known. And we think, well, God's violent and vengeful and judgmental just in the Old Testament. And he's graceful and loving and kind. He's changed. He's not changed. But the story in scripture is a story of God revealing himself to his people over time. And it's all there from the beginning until the end. And and, and we look at a few passages of scripture in Exodus 34. This is God leading his children out of bondage, out of Egypt by Moses. And and God shows up to Moses. And this is what he says about himself. He says, then the Lord came down in a cloud and he stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses. Imagine that. The Lord, the Lord is there in a cloud. And then he passes in front of Moses. And he's, he's calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. He says, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love onto a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. But... I do not excuse the guilty. That there is love, but then there is also judgment. And sometimes in the New Testament, we just want to focus on the love, but there's even judgment in the New Testament as well. And so we read in Psalms 103, and it's not going to be on the screen, but I read this to our team this morning. And, and so this was this was Moses' um, perception of God. Now let's look at David's, and I'm going to read several passages of scriptures. And Um, it says, let all that I am praise the Lord. I'll start in verse one. With my whole heart, I praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Man, never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated fairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. He will not remain angry forever. In verse 10, listen to this, guys. He says, he does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. David understands the weight of sin. David understands what is required as punishment and payment for our sins. And he's saying, even then, God does not deal harshly with us as he should and that daily we are walking around in more grace and in more mercy than what we can comprehend because God is not dealing with us as he should that that how many of you are grateful that he's been patient with you as you were tripping and falling and messing up and not understanding the greatness of God, but him still being faithful and patient with you as you're growing and learning to walk and understanding the perception of his goodness as you grow. And he says this, he says, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Last verse, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And then the prophet in Malachi says this. He says, God says, I, the Lord, I never change. And so this is the transition book. If you want to look at it as two, two books, It's not, but this is the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And right in that last book, before we jump to the New Testament, God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. I do not change. And, And even when you think about it, that is why your descendants of Jacob are not yet destroyed. He's like, look, because of your sin, I could have already destroyed you. But because of my unfailing love and my compassion that never ends and I'm slow to anger, you're still here. I'm still being patient with you because I don't change. And so then we jump to the New Testament and we see Jesus, God in flesh in 1 John. 1 John is is, is writing. He He says, God is love and all who live in love live in God. God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, our understanding of who God is. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence, knowing, because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, and I want some of you guys to hear this. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. And if we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. Like if we're afraid of the judgment of God, it's because we haven't fully understood the greatness of his love. We haven't fully embraced. He says, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his love. And if if we are in fear of punishment, then we need to experience God's perfect love. Because honestly, think about this. He cannot, for those of us who are in Christ, he cannot punish us for our sins. Because that punishment that was meant for us has already been placed on his son the punishment that was meant for you and I because of our sins, when we come into relationship with him, that punishment is removed. And he's not gonna take that punishment off of what he placed on Christ and then place it on us because of our sins. When we come into relationship with Jesus, the punishment that was reserved for us, Christ has taken. And we cannot receive that punishment. Now, don't miss me on this. There are still consequences on this side, folks. You speed, you're still gonna get a ticket, right? There are consequences that we have to live in. There are consequences to help us understand and grow in our disciplines and in our dedication and in our relationship into becoming more into the image of Christ. But the, the final judgment and punishment has been removed, And sometimes we walk around not understanding that. And so we look at the violence in the Old Testament and we say, how can it be the same God? Because we haven't fully experienced God's unconditional love. God's judgment and God's love are two sides of the same coin. The judgment that is handed out is the result of love. I remember when I was disciplined, my oldest child for the first time, I thought changing a diaper was gonna be hard. (laughs) But it's not until you have to discipline your child and you see the tears in their eyes. And I tell them what my dad told me and I was like, you crazy. My dad would tell me this hurts me worse than it hurts you. I was like, you have no idea, pops. And then I remember telling my daughter that and it was true, like it broke my heart that there is discipline that comes judgment, and love are part of the same coin. And then I read this, and it kind of made sense. It's like like you can receive comfort and warmth from a flame, but you can also be burned and it can be destructive depending on where you stand in relationship to the flame. And so when we look at our relationship with Christ, judgment and love are the same coin. We can receive judgment, or we can receive warmth, but it depends on which side of the flame that we're standing on. And there's no work for us to be able to stand on the right side of the flame. We just have to take our seat on the right side of the flame. Christ has done all the work. And so I found this quote, read the Tozer quote earlier. And then this one really struck me. It's C.S. Lewis, Lying the Witch in the Wardrobe. Most of you probably have read the books or seen the movies. But he, he, he wrote this book called The Weight of Glory. And he says this, he says, it's not as important as... It's not as important about what we think about God. He says, how God thinks of us is way more important. Not only more important, but ultimately infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it relates to how he thinks about us. Read that slowly. It's like it's not so much about what we think about God, but it's how we think about what God thinks about us. It says, it's written that we shall stand before him, that we shall appear, that we shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredibly and only possibly by the work of Christ. That some of us, and listen to some of us, and really truly those who choose, that as you and I choose Christ, that we shall survive the examination and shall find approval, that we shall please God, and he says this, to please God, to please God, to be a real ingredient in divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied by God, but delighted in. God doesn't want to pity you. He wants to delight in you, and there are some of you in this room that, that you are unable to approach God, not because of how you view Him, but could it be maybe it's because of how you're thinking He views you? And that's what keeps us away. And so many times we see God as angry or distant disconnected and, 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 and we've painted this false picture of Jesus. We've painted this false picture of our heavenly father that looks absolutely nothing like he actually is and it keeps us away from him. The prophet says this about God's thoughts on us and our thoughts in comparison to him. It says, it says for my thoughts are not like your thoughts, nor my ways are like your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I want that just to settle in your hearts right now, is that some of you may be disconnected from God, not so much because of what you're thinking about him, but it's because of what you're thinking he's thinking about you. And in reality, that's how we interact with with a lot of people on this side of eternity, right? How we approach them, how we don't approach them. But our God is greater. Our God is holy. He is is righteous. He does not withhold from the guilty, but he has made a way for you and I to, to be without guilt to be without shame. And so we can look at passages of scripture that says that it is the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. That it is his goodness that, that, that he wants us to focus on. And, and Paul tells us in the New Testament is at just the right time while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for you and I to get our stuff together, to love us, to sacrifice. He came at just the right time because there was never gonna be a better time because we're never gonna get it all right. And then David, who probably understood as much as anybody, was a murderer, adulterer, was a liar, a deceiver. But Scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. Those were God's thoughts on David. If you or I would have seen David, we would have been like, like, like E News tonight, right? We would not have had the same opinion. And this is what David understood. He said, your thoughts about me are good and they outnumber the sands on the shores. And so we have these two sides of of the same coin, judgment and love. And for some of you, all you've experienced and felt is judgment and disconnect. I want to invite you to experience the other side of that coin the other side of the fire where there's warmth and comfort so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning it is our desire as a church that you would experience the goodness of god the punishment and the wrath that we think we see in the old testament god poured out on his son so that we are free from that all those who choose to walk in relationship with him and for those of you who are here today and you're wounded because of a poor view of God or even greater it's it's a poor view of how you believe God sees you when we are in relationship with him he doesn't just see you he doesn't just see me he sees his son because Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness God, God gave him the punishment that we deserve and gave us the reward that we don't deserve. And if you're here today, I just want to pray for you that you would just be set free from a poor self-image of God and a poor self-image of yourself that yes, we are all sinners. Paul says that I am the worst of these. We can't negate and neglect that. But God's goodness and mercies in your life supersede any of that, church. And it's how we view God, how we understand God views us, will either strengthen us in this community and strengthen the gospel because we can boldly and confidently share that because we have, we have embraced it, we have embodied it, we've accepted it, we have owned it and that's what I want you to do I want you to own and if that's you today and say I, I want to give Jesus my life I want to know that his thoughts of me are good I want to know that, that, that his plans for me are good here's what I'm going to ask you to do I want to ask you to, to just lift your hand so I can pray for you and you can put it right back down Father, I just come to you in this moment. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that sometimes it's hard to chew and hard to digest, but God, I pray that your spirit just takes the word that was shared and embodies it and just embeds it in our heart. God, that we would take any mental image of what we think you look like, how we think you operate. God, that we've created from experiences, from hurt from pain from disappointment God any misunderstandings just because we can't completely figure you out if if we had you figured all out we would you would cease to be God you would just be another image of ourselves so God I pray that we would just surrender to your greatness to understanding that you are greater than we can put our minds around. And God, that, that we would own your thoughts about us. God, your word says to take, capture every thought and make it surrender to the cause of Christ. And so, God, I capture every negative thought in this room. God, I capture every disobedient thought in this room, God, and I make it obedient to your word, God. God, for anyone that has struggled with with feeling less than, with feeling inferior, with feeling like they were someone who was unable to approach you, God. That in our own individual state, we can't. But you've made a way and that we can approach you boldly and stand before you without fault without shame and so God if there's anyone in here today that does not have a relationship with you God I pray they simply just say Jesus I give you my life it's not all that's going to be said but it's the start of of a beautiful relationship and conversation that will last an eternity then Jesus I give you my life so father we thank you for that and God just begin to reveal yourself to us your true nature Remind us who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray.